morning. Caleb must know. Oh, there he is. That's fine. <clears throat> Thank you for your prayers. Um, the last few weeks have been uh, maybe a reminder for me of what Mark just talked about. We, um, our health is truly a gift, and. Uh, Dealing with headaches and some fever over the last couple weeks, and then uh, the migraine last week. It's been a reminder that uh, I am utterly dependent on God. I don't get to wake up and decide to be healthy. I can make decisions that uh, help or hinder that, but um, I don't have control over that. In the men's class, we talked about um, this thing of waiting patiently on the Lord, but also not sitting idle instead of doing what we're supposed to, um, and that um, that's running around in my head right now, partly um, this week. There were different topics that came to mind as what I should maybe share about, and I would try to work down that path and get some things down and either realize this isn't where I'm supposed to go or this is not coming together. Um, and there were a couple that kind of came together, but it seemed pretty obvious it was not what I was supposed to talk about. And so when I get to Saturday noon and afternoon, and I still am wandering the wilderness waiting the word of the Lord, I start to get kind of nervous. Um, and uh, this morning, I'm going to do something, in some ways, I probably would have said I doubt I would ever do, which is preach a message from the book of Proverbs. Um, the question often comes, and I had not looked at the um, adult lesson when I started on putting this together. This was born out of um, a devotional I heard from Proverbs and, and pursuing that. Um, the question we often face in life is, what is God's will for my life? And that can be, um, I'm thinking specifically of things that are not spelled out in Scripture. Um, that can be small things. What are we going to eat today? What are we going to wear today? Uh, bigger things. Um, who am I going to marry? What occupation am I going to pursue? Um, what vehicle am I going to buy to replace the one that needs replaced? What house am I going to rent or buy? Am I going to rent or am I going to buy? All sorts of questions that um, Scripture may speak to them in some way. Uh, scripture talks about our body and our responsibility in it, so that affects somewhat the decision of what am I going to eat today. Um, scripture talks about the kind of person you should marry, so that's going to affect um, who you uh, pursue the right word. Yeah, probably. Who you pursue as your spouse, at least mostly on this side of the house, um, who you accept as your Anyway, um, he talks about how we portray ourselves and how we portray Christ, and so that's going to affect um, 
what we wear. It's going to affect what we drive. It's going to affect what we do. And so scripture does speak to these little decisions, but it doesn't say thou shalt wear um, linens only and uh, you shall drive only Japanese vehicles and only uh, white, black, and gray and green and you should only live in a house that has X square feet per person. Or it, it doesn't tell us that. And so then we start to face decisions and we say, what is God's will for me in this thing right here, right now? And our hearts desire God's will, but it's hard to transition from our heart to our mind. And we fear making the wrong decision. Proverbs is a book that is in two major sections. The first nine chapters kind of just lay out and reiterate why wisdom is valuable, why you need wisdom. And then in chapters 10 through 31 is more where you have the what you think of as Proverbs. Um, wise sayings written to be memorable and applicable in daily life. We're going to start by reading the first seven verses of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, starting at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, verse 7 would more commonly be translated, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, And that will be kind of our underlined... Uh, verse or concept as we look at this book this morning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we have this idea of wisdom. You could think of instruction or insight or prudence or knowledge or discretion. All of those kind of fit into the concept of what is being talked about here. And in chapter 9, verse 10, we have kind of a bookend to this first section that's talking about why wisdom is valuable So here in chapter 1, verse 7, we have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then in chapter 9, verse 10, we have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So this first section that is laying out why we need wisdom, the value of wisdom, the necessity of wisdom, is bookended by the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This fear of God is a reverence. And in reverence, we also have the concept of worship. Um, I was thinking, pondering through that, as I thought about the reverence of God, how is that different than the worship of God? And I'm not sure it's as different as I first thought. Um, Our worship of God is our reverence for him and our response to him in that reverence. Um, And so in some ways, in my mind, reverence which is what we're looking at when we talk about the fear of the Lord. The idea there is more of the reverence and not so much of the terror, um, though there is a piece of that. 
the fear of the Lord is a reverence, and with that comes the concept of worship. We will spend some time this morning considering the connection then between fearing or worshiping God and wisdom. How does it actually work? We know it's true because the Bible says it more than once even. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then we go about our days. What does it actually mean for us? The author David Platt says, Wisdom is the fruit of a right relationship with God. Wisdom is the fruit of a right relationship with God. Wisdom springs from, it it, it results out of, um, uh, a a right relationship with God. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see man is in complete harmony with the Creator and creation and each other. So there in the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see man in complete harmony with each other, two people, all of mankind at the time, in complete harmony with each other. They're in complete harmony with their creator, and they're in complete harmony with creation around them. They aren't worried about whether the decisions they make are in the will of God. They're just going about their life. And then the fall, because they make the one choice that they know is outside the will of God. Everything else they could be confident was inside the will of God. God said, this is my will. And so they didn't have this nagging fear that we do of, well, is, is this the right thing to do? Is, is this what God wants of me? Then there's the fall, and man's relationship with God is destroyed. And man's relationship with creation is distorted. So what I want us to think about is in order to walk in wisdom in the horizontal, in our relationships here, how we relate to each other, how we conduct our lives in the day-to-day as we go through, um, as we just go through the normal routines. For, for us to walk in wisdom in that horizontal plane, we need to have a proper um, vertical connection. We need to be properly connected to God if we want any hope of having proper relationships and proper actions in our person-to-person relationships. So we're looking at the book of Proverbs this morning. The book was primarily written and compiled by Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For some context about Solomon, let's turn back to 1 Kings 3 for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 3. And we will read, starting at verse 5. 1 Kings 3, starting at verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 
The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I also... I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So here we have Solomon... Coming to God, well, God coming to Solomon and offering him whatever he wants. And verse 7 is the picture of Solomon we like to remember. The, the humble Solomon who shows his need and has this relationship with God and says, I need you to be able to do this correctly. I don't have what it takes to lead your people. The next chapter, 1 Kings 4, uh, starting at verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. Uh, I'll skip those names. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Solomon has become king. God has given him wisdom, wisdom and knowledge beyond belief. Now, remember, we want to consider the connection between wisdom and worship. Think of the reign of Solomon and how at the beginning we have Solomon's temple. David had wanted to build the temple. God said, no, this is not for you. You are a bloody man. Um, he reserved it for Solomon. And Solomon built the temple. And he had this desire for, for God-centered worship in the presence of God in the kingdom. But we see in a way that Solomon's wisdom is tied to his worship. His relationship with God affects his relationship to those around him. As he drifts into his own ideas and things, um, he makes a lot of unwise decisions in his life. So his, his God-centered worship was correlated directly to the outworking of that wisdom in his life. Eighteen times, as far as I could tell, in the book of Proverbs, there is some um, command or instruction or encouragement to revere God. And I think it's important... Okay, it is important... Um, it's important to note that revering God is not a nebulous or abstract thing. Revering God is revering the person of God. Um, Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20, says this about God. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds 
drop down the dupe. So the first thing I want us to think about instruction from Proverbs is for us to consider, as we revere the person of God, consider that he is the creator of all things. You can take the most brilliant, intelligent atheist in the world, and scripture would label him a fool. It's not because he doesn't know anything. He has tons of knowledge. There are a lot of smart atheists, if you, well, it depends on how you define smart. But you know what I mean? He is a fool because all of his knowledge is viewed through a perspective that is godless, that denies the existence and truth of God. And then his lens is broken. And by missing this most foundational, fundamental um, truth, any knowledge, any intelligence, any whatever, is canceled or shortchanged by that foolishness. God is the creator. He is the sovereign sustainer of all things. Proverbs 16, there are a few verses. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. Chance does not rule. Man does not rule. God is the sustainer. God is the ruler of the world. We also read that he is the eternal judge of all people. Uh, We find it in chapter 16, verse 11, and in chapter 11, verse 21. I will read um, 1611. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So we are fashioned by the infinitely wise, all-powerful God and King over all creation. He holds your days in his hands. You can make plans, but he's the one who guides. One day he's also going to judge us. Maybe a more powerful way to say that would be one day he is going to judge you. Proverbs 11:21, The wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. That gives us pause. That's where we start to get a little bit of that terror and not just the reverence. Brings a holy fear of the Lord. But we can rejoice in his grace and in his mercy. Proverbs 3. We'll read a few verses from Proverbs 3 here, starting at verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them about your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Later in this same chapter, verses 11 and 12, we see that his discipline, even his discipline, is evidence of his love. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. We are instructed to hear and fear the Lord. In chapter 13, he who despises the world will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Now, one thing that is extremely important to remember as you look at Proverbs, these are guidelines for living. These are not guarantees in life. In Proverbs 3, we have, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. That's a good guideline. But look at all those who have given their lives to the Lord um, There are an awful lot of missionaries who barely made it to 30, giving their lives to the Lord, forgetting not his law, keeping his commands, 
They didn't have length of days. It's a good guideline, but it's not a promise that, well, you're going to make it to 85 because you love the Lord. And in Proverbs 11, we also have the righteous is delivered from trouble, um, and it comes to the wicked instead. It's probably easier for us to read that than it is for some of our brothers and sisters in China or in some of the Middle Eastern Muslim countries. Um, We have persecuted brothers and sisters the world over. So these are guidelines to live by. These are helpful guidelines to follow. These are not promises for us to claim. That's not how this book was written. Now, there are some recurring themes in Proverbs. We have um, a good bit of, of instruction about family. In uh, Proverbs 5, we have um, encouragement. That, that's not strong enough for, for what I want. We have um, the instruction to love your spouse thoroughly. In fact, um, Proverbs 5 speaks of enjoying your spouse in a way that rivals Solomon's book of songs, Song of Solomon. Um, And in Proverbs 6, it speaks of the husband's jealousy for the affections of his wife is natural and good. Proverbs 31, famously, um, the picture of a godly wife. Some of the most intense passages in this book come in warnings against adultery. We have it in chapters 2, 5, 6, 7, and 9, especially. Stern warnings. Um, In fact, turn to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to start reading at verse 6. Proverbs 7, verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house, in the twilight and the evening and the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face or unashamed. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me today. I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him, and will come home on the appointed day. When through enticing speech she caused him to yield, with her flattering lips she seduced him. Immediately he went after her, as an ox goes on to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her houses, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. If there is any inkling in you of wandering toward another woman, in deed or in thought, meditate on this, and see yourself as an ox, walking willingly to the slaughter. 
the the beef being led into the barn or wherever you're going to butcher them. He doesn't know what's coming next. Don't be like that. Let it soak in that you, not knowing what you're doing, will cost yourself your life. Solomon, of course, wrote from a man's perspective. Women can learn from this as well. Among other things, in this passage, do not let your house, your way, be a way of death. The instruction in Proverbs regarding family is not just about marriage, also about children. Um, in Proverbs 23, we have, Do not withhold correction from a, tr- from a child. Instruct your children intentionally. Parents must discipline and instruct. Part of your love means you will discipline and instruct. The school teacher, the Sunday school teacher, the preacher, this is not their job. This is your job. Proverbs gives direction to our friendships. Avoid evil company. It says we imitate our friends. Proverbs 24.1, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. Don't even uh, want to hang around with people who are unregenerate. And I think in this day and age, we could say don't desire to be with them or don't desire to virtually be with them. Be wise about who you surround yourself with. We're told to promote good companionship. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs has a lot to say about our speech, about words. Guard what you say. Don't speak in haste. Um, How many fast words do you regret? It's usually the, the words that are spoken hastily are the ones that you wish you could take back. Be quiet and think first. Perhaps even think second or third. The tongue has the power to heal and destroy. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And also Proverbs 10 Whoever hides hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. That's Proverbs 10, 18 through 20. We're also told to guard what we hear. There's instruction on how to receive words of criticism, words of flattery. There's a fair bit of talk about wealth. Um, there's talk about work. In Proverbs 14, 23, all, um, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Don't be lazy. Hard work is valuable. We see that helping the needy is vital. There are harsh statements in Proverbs about those who neglect the needy. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. That hit pretty close to home for me when I read it. When I struggle to understand or sympathize with the needy, what is that saying about my own heart? The wicked does not understand such knowledge. It's not a comforting thought, considering how little I understand the plight of even the American poor, much less the poverty the world over. 
We see righteous and evil who are wealthy and in poverty. Um, Proverbs 30, 7 through 9 says, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. So, you are not to set out seeking poverty or wealth. You are to be content. Feed me with the food allotted to me. We could talk about the lessons for life in this book, probably for every Sunday the rest of the year and not, not use it up. Um, but I want, I want us to come back to this concept of, of worship and wisdom, of fear being the beginning of wisdom. A right relationship with God brings out a right relationship with those around us. When we, when we read Proverbs, if we start thinking about Solomon, it can derail us. We know, um, we know what is coming in his life. He didn't end up where he started there in 1 Kings 3 and 4. He turns his heart away from the worship of God, turns his heart, in fact, from God to some of the things he warned about, um, specifically in this book, Wealth and Women. Um, his wisdom wanes. He, his end looks nothing like 1 Corinthians I mean, I'm sorry, First Kings 3 and 4. And left to ourselves, we are prone to worship the things of this world and follow after the wisdom of this world. What we see in Solomon is present and possible in every heart in this room. I shouldn't say it's present. It is possible in every heart in this room. We've looked at lessons from this book that were compiled by or written by Solomon, but we need someone else besides Solomon to help us. This book doesn't mention the name of Jesus once, but it can lead us to love Christ and lean on him. This redemption, this is redemption that, that will be achieved in Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We will read several verses near the end of the chapter. Luke 2... We'll start at verse 41. Luke 2, 41. His parents, speaking of Jesus, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing to him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We don't have much about Jesus' boyhood in Scripture. Um, I find it interesting here 
It says they were astonished at his answers, which means that the teachers started asking him questions, which always strikes me as interesting. But the end of these verses say, He increased in wisdom and in favor with God and man. With God, the vertical relationship. With man, the horizontal relationship. He says, I must be in my Father's house. Where the glory of God dwells, this is where I belong. That is what Jesus was telling his earthly parents. Where the glory of God dwells, this is where I belong. In John chapter 2, Jesus identifies himself as the temple. So today, if you want to encounter the presence of God and the glory of God, Jesus says, here I am. Jesus is the true temple. That's the reality of the incarnation. Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to experience the glory of God? Well, who do you come to? Jesus is who enables us to worship God. He died to reconcile man to God. When he did that, the veil was rent in the temple. That barrier between God and man, Jesus' death caused that barrier to be torn. Matthew 12:42 says, The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus' wisdom is greater than Solomon. Why? Well, because wisdom is the fruit of a right relationship with God. Jesus embodies the wisdom of God. He is wise as the Father is wise. In Colossians 2, we have, kind of have to to break in here, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to walk in wisdom and not waste your life in folly, there is only one path to take. It is the path of faith and trust in and surrender to Jesus Christ. So Proverbs presents us very clearly with a choice, the way of folly or the way of wisdom. The gospel offers the same choice, the way of folly or the way of wisdom. This is a decision you make daily or even more often. Follow after this world, follow its wisdom, and you will lose your life. Or follow the way of Christ, trust in Christ and what he's done to be united in relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31. First Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. When you trust in Christ, in Christ we live in continual worship. We revere God. Um, 
we revere God, his person, humbly. First um, Peter 1 talks about how we walk in reverent fear of our creator, our sustainer, our judge, our savior. There is never a moment when there is not reverence involved if you are truly walking in Christ. There is never a moment in your life that you're walking with Christ and there is not reverence for God. Or else you've kind of wandered away from his side a little bit. This is what what, what Solomon said in Proverbs 28.13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We know this in its fullness. Um, Solomon was looking forward to something that was very fuzzy to him, I think, when he talks about the mercy of God. We get to see a much clearer picture of that. We receive God's word. Uh, Matthew 7 says, The man who receives God's word is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Then we remember his purposes. We remember God's purposes daily. Um, If you want a great compact description of God's purpose, read Ephesians 1. You could boil it down to God redeeming people for himself and for his glory. If you are walking with Christ, you remember God's purposes daily. Redeeming of people for himself and of his glory. Through Christ, we have been reconciled to walk with him in worship. And what flows from that? The David Platt uh, quote again, Wisdom is the fruit of a right relationship with God. In Christ, we walk with continual wisdom. How is Jesus our wisdom? One way is he gives it when we ask. James 1, 5. A famous verse, I think we could call it that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is both a guideline and a promise. If you lack wisdom, ask God, and it will be given you. He guides us in his wisdom wherever we go. He doesn't always say, take this, do this, here's the door, go through it. He says, here's what you need to do. I will live in you. I will lead you. I will guide you, putting that into practice. In Christ are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. And with that, when I ask, what is God's will for my life? God desires for me to know and follow his will so much that he lives in me and leads me to accomplish it. Yes, there's still the agonizing, the praying, the researching when there are decisions to be made. But the goal of wisdom is not to answer our questions. The goal of wisdom is an intimate relationship with God himself. And if I'm really concerned about God's purposes, what I put on this morning becomes a decision that's a whole lot easier to make. What car I buy when I need one becomes a decision that's a whole lot easier to make. If your goal in life is the answer to your questions, you have bad goals. The goal in life is an intimate relationship with God himself. And in that, his desire for me to know and follow his will is so great that he lives in me and leads me to accomplish it. Can we have a song, please?